First, though, uh, we're going to go to the U.S. Uh, UK Prime Minister is in Washington, meeting, of course, U.S. President uh, Joe Biden. Uh, those pictures are of uh, something uh, different, though. We're going to stick in the U.S. because uh, just in the last few minutes, uh, that press conference has wrapped up a little earlier on. Uh, this was their meeting um, in front of the cameras, and they had private meetings as well after that, talking about economic ties, support for Ukraine uh, and artificial intelligence. As uh, we mentioned, that's what we will be uh, talking about. First, though, uh, let's hear from uh, the U.S. president. So, Mr. Prime Minister, thank you for making the journey to Washington. Earlier this week, we marked the 79th anniversary of D-Day and a timely reminder of the proud history of our nation's share and the values, the values that we have long stood to, together to defend. That's the unshakable foundation of this special relationship, and it is a special relationship. There's no country closer to us than Great Britain. Today, as NATO allies, partners in innovation, as friends in a shared vision of the future, and the two nations, our two nations are ready to meet the challenges of our time and meet them together. And uh, let's hear a little bit of what uh, Mr. Sunak had to say too. Today we have agreed the Atlantic Declaration, a new economic partnership for a new age, of a kind that has never been agreed before. Yes, a partnership that protects our citizens, but more than that, a test case for the kind of reimagined alliances President Biden has spoken so eloquently about. That means new investment. This week alone, £14 billion of new American investment has been committed into the UK, creating thousands of jobs. It means stronger supply chains with a new action plan on clean energy. And it redu means reducing trade barriers in the technologies of the future with a new secure UK-US data bridge helping tens of thousands of small businesses. Right, let's go live to Washington. Gary O'Donoghue was watching and listening. Uh, Gary, sorry, um, this, this press conference has wrapped up just in the last few minutes. There was a lot uh, to get through. What stuck out to you? I think there was, uh, quite interestingly, on, on you mentioned AI uh, as being important to Rishi Sunak's trick, and I think there was quite a... A lot of warm words there from Joe Biden about the British capacity to lead the conversation on that. He, he spoke about this idea of an autumn summit in the UK. That seemed to me like a little bit of an endorsement. So the British will take away uh, a lot of encouragement from that. And I think they'll also take away a lot of encouragement from the idea that, uh, that the US administration is buying into this sort of economic cooperation, even if they can't have a sort of full free trade agreement that there are going to be some areas where uh, the US believes it is important to cooperate. Rare earth minerals were mentioned. They often sound a bit sort of um, sort of down in the weeds, but these are like 17 parts of 17 elements of the periodic table that are that are actually crucial in sort of future technologies. And at the moment, China controls a lot of the mines uh, where those materials come from. And clearly people in the in the US and Europe and the UK want to make sure they can secure uh, the supply lines and the supplies of those sorts of things uh, for the future, for their, for their future technologies. So some indi indi I think some movement from the, the British point of view. Yes. I think we're just um, seeing Rishi Sunak's car just about to pass by behind me. Yeah, here he is, Lewis, on his way back towards the northwest gate of the 
of the White House, heading back to the airport and I think straight off back to the UK after I think what he'll, he will feel is a reasonably successful visit. Gary, perfect timing. You are impeccable as always. Thank you very much for that. Right, we're going to dig into one of those issues that Gary mentioned there, artificial intelligence. So, David Leslie is Director of Ethics and Responsible Innovation of Research at the Alan Turing Institute, which specialises in data and artificial intelligence. And Sana Kagani, uh, former head of the UK Office for AI. Thanks both for coming on the programme. Good to be here, Lewis. Thank you. So let's start with this idea that artificial intelligence, I suppose we should start from, from absolute basics. Uh, David, just tell us, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, briefly, what is it and uh, what are the potential risks? Well, I mean, we there are many different ways one can define artificial intelligence. I think uh, conventionally we think of these as technologies or, or, or different methodologies in statistics and mathematics that serve uh, stand-in cognitive functions in the world. Uh, so we, we can think of uh, machine learning, for instance, that draws in large amounts of data uh, and is trained on that data to make inferences, predictions, classifications about the world. Uh, we have uh, knowledge of, of many different extant uh, risks that AI provides. Uh, we, we know that uh, because it's derived from uh, real world data, it, uh, it will tend to replicate, reproduce, or even augment uh, the biases and, and, and the patterns of discrimination that exist in the world. Uh, if we think of more uh, recently the, uh, the, the rollout of foundation models, we know that these types of systems can be fire hoses for disinformation, misinformation, and propaganda. Okay. They can create cybersecurity threats. And, David, and I'm, I'm going to jump in there because we're going to come to some of those specific risks in just a moment in a little bit more detail. But Sana, I just want to come to you because we've got a, a good idea there from David about uh, what artificial intelligence is and some of the potential risks. But why do you think that Rishi Sunak, UK Prime Minister, has made this such a focus of his trip to Washington? Um, well, this is in incredibly important right now. And we've heard from experts uh, across the world calling on governments to, to start thinking about this. I think it's important, though, to note that, um, you know, this isn't the the beginning of this conversation for the UK, that AI safety has been part and parcel of the conversation and policymaking in the UK from the outset. So looking at the benefits alongside the risks have always been the way we've approached policymaking here. And so the national AI strategy we released two years ago has AI safety within it in under pillar three, which is um, the, the governance of AI. So it makes the UK uh, really suitable to convene a discussion like this. And frankly, for me, it's that all of this hype is fantastic because it means that some of this work that needs to happen very, very quickly and collaboration to be made um, across the world can happen much more quickly now that people are uh, care about looking at AI safety more, more than they have in the past. Okay, interesting. David, let's come back to you because you were talking about things like misinformation. Uh, if, if, if the UK wants to position itself as some kind of uh, centre of excellence and hub, in the kind of regulatory sphere as well, what kind of regulation is needed? Well, we definitely need uh, a, a, a series of, of uh, codified uh, uh, 
controls on the way that these systems are designed, developed, and deployed. Um, we, we know that uh, algorithmic transparency and, and uh, algorithmic accountability are priorities uh, and that, that these need to uh, be, uh, be put into kind of statutory form so that uh, regulators can, um, in their own verticals, uh, be uh, able to uh, enforce uh, transparency and accountability uh, requirements. Uh, we also know that uh, there are uh, various uh, modes of assurance that, that need to be developed uh, in, in terms of a documentation, a proper documentation, and certification of these systems. And so, if anything, the UK has been out ahead of the curve on this. Uh, the Center for Data Ethics and Innovation, for instance, has a whole program uh, in assurance and uh, privacy enhancing technologies that could support that. Uh, at the Alan Turing Institute, uh, we've uh, developed the National uh, Public Sector Guidance on AI Ethics and Safety and the National AI Explainability Guidance uh, alongside the Information Commissioner's Office. So all that to say, we've, we've okay. been part of this conversation for quite a few years and, okay. and thinking about this. Okay, so now let's build on, on what David is saying there. If the UK is kind of ahead of the game in, in this and therefore has some claim to act as some kind of hub in the years ahead, overall effectiveness if you have other countries that aren't prepared to sign up to the same kind of uh, regulations or principles or any voluntary code or anything uh, China but no, not necessarily uh, China but that is uh, cited by some for example all those dangerous aspects of of AI could be harnessed by some and then not by others yeah, absolutely fair, um, which is why um, AI, we cannot think about AI safety and, and the things that were mentioned, the work that's been mentioned as a domestic issue. These are international issues. These are international uh, it, and it requires international collaboration. Now, that doesn't that's not easy, um, but that is at the heart of my understanding of why this summit is being called in the autumn is to bring those leaders who understand that work needs to be done together. Um, and now that just won't the, be the speed, the speed size, sorry to jump in there, but it's the speed. You know, the, 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 the technology is moving so fast and, yeah. and, and, and worldwide regulation notoriously is pretty slow. Yeah, I mean, I think worldwide regulation is going to take a long time. You're absolutely right. But I think collaborating on the actions that we can individually take alongside the same level of guidance and principles and standards um, might be a good start. So okay. just actionable things that we can do as countries and agree to do them, I think is really important. And just, just one other very quick point for me, the people sure. at that table cannot just be the regulators and governments and business people. We need to have civil society and, uh, and, and, people who are going to be affected by the regulations there as well, so that we can have that diversity of thinking and thought in that, included in that thinking. Interesting. David, just want to come back to you, because this idea that civil society, that governments buy in, it's actually, of course, uh, the companies involved that in many cases, um, have they learned from other big tech that actually the faster regulation comes in, the better, even though that may sound uh, counterintuitive? I think the, the, the need for regulation has been called for across industry, but I think we also need to um, be careful that uh, there isn't degrees of regulatory capture here. And, and this is, as Sano was saying, the real um, priority of, of involving the public and involving 
um, a wide range of stakeholders in determining what actually needs to happen to put those uh, controls in place within the ecosystem uh, of AI innovation. And you, the only way we'll get there um, is if we have a kind of multilateral, international, uh, global conversation uh, where you, you, you have uh, many different parts of, of society contributing to setting the direction of travel for the future of regulation. Okay, Sana Kegani and David Leslie, great to have your thoughts. I know we could talk about this hugely complex uh, issue forever, but I'm afraid we must leave it there. Thank you very much, both. Thank you very much. Thank you.